book of Luke in the New Testament church. We're going to be in uh, two chapters, Luke 18 and Luke 19. And as you're turning there, I want to talk just a minute about how things have changed. Um, change is always happening. Always. You think about the last 100 years and how much change has taken place in our, in our world. You know, we've got space shuttles that are propelling people through space. And it was really around 100 years or so that the, the first airplane took its first flight in Kitty Hawk. You think about our, 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 gr our ground transportation. You know, the Model T Ford came out of assembly some 80-some years ago. And now we've got cars that are hybrid cars. We've got cars that respond to our voice commands. Uh, we've got cars that can keep us from having a collision. And we've got cars that will park for us. So we've come a long way there. Think about when penicillin was, was uh, discovered 60-some years ago. And now we're at the point where we can put in an artificial heart. And we're making really great strides in research for different diseases like cancer. So there's constant change that's taking place. Think about how the world has changed uh, in the past two years. Or even in the past year. It's really changed a great deal and when we sit and think about it, it's almost it's mind-boggling. But what happens in our world and what happens in our culture also trickles down to the individual level. And we're constantly changing as well. Uh, we're growing older. Uh, we're doing things differently than we used to do. Uh, so there's change that takes place. Change is inevitable in our lives. And we will make hundreds or thousands I don't know, millions of changes in our lifetime. But there's one change that trumps every other change that can take place, can take place in the life of every individual. And that is the change that Jesus Christ can make in your life when you allow him into your life. And that initial change can lead to other changes throughout your life throughout your life as a child of God. And the good thing is that God not only desires to make that change in your life and mine, but he has the ability to do that as well. So it's not like empty promises. It's not like I, I want to do this and I, can't, and I desire to do this, but I just can't. No, he can. He can make that change in your life. And whether you're a, a deeply committed Christian uh, committed to following him or whether you're somebody who's considering submitting your life to Christ and, and considering following him he can do something great and something awesome and something beautiful with your life he can he can do a better job of that than you can do on your own let me tell you and that I can do on my own and so along the lines of talking about change I want to talk about two individuals in Scripture today that, uh, from the book. Well, actually, you'll find them uh, throughout the Gospels, but we want to read the account in Luke today of two men who encountered Jesus 
and both of them were looking for something, but only one of them made the decision to change and to allow the change that Jesus wanted to make in his life. So we're going to talk about these two individuals, and you're going to know them as soon as I tell you who they are. <laughs> one is the rich young ruler, and the other one is Zacchaeus. And Jesus met both of these men when he was making his last trip to Jerusalem. So we're going to talk about the rich young ruler first. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 18. Uh, and we're going to be reading, uh, beginning with verse number 18, here in just a few minutes. But this man, was he was a seeker. He was an anxious seeker. He was looking for something he needed, and he was being proactive about it. He was doing something about it. Uh, you know how sometimes, uh, I don't know why this is popping into my head, but when you've got a physical problem, a health problem, and you just think, oh, it'll go away on its own. <laughs> Anybody ever felt that way about anything? And it doesn't go away? <laughs> uh, let's be proactive. Let's make an appointment, and let's find a doctor that can take care of it. Uh, but that's what this man was doing. There was a problem. And he was looking for somebody to help him with it. And so we see and we know because of the accounts that we have of this man in the Gospels that he was rich and that he was young and that he was a ruler. And the book of Mark, all, all of them say that this man came to Jesus to ask him a question. But the book of Mark says that he actually came to Jesus and was on his knees before Jesus asking him the question that everybody at some point in their life has thought about or asked, and that is, what can I do to live forever? Or what can I do to have eternal life? And you know, for, for, for anybody that may have witnessed this, they probably thought it was a weird situation because this man was young and he was rich and he was a ruler, and those three things in Jewish society were, were it was obvious that this person had God's favor. So why would, he, why would he need to ask a question at all? Why did he feel compelled to ask this question when he had what most people would say everything he needed to be happy? I mean, the same rings true of our society today. People feel like, well, hey, if I've got money and if I've got position... And if I'm young and I'm healthy, I got everything I need. What more do I need? And yet, this man was missing something. There was an emptiness there that being young and being rich and being a ruler could not fulfill or satisfy. Now, I, I would say here, listen carefully, young, young people. But I believe that this rings true for people my age and older as well. Because, you know, the older I get, the more I long for those younger days. You know what I'm talking about? Those 15 over say amen. Don't you wish you felt like you did when you were 20? Amen. I knew, I knew I'd start to get some there. Um, but this guy looked like he would, he surely looked like he had it made. It's the same way with us. We, we see people either on TV or in real life and we look at them and we say, wow, they've got everything. They've got money. They've got a great job. They see, they've got, you know, they're, they're in a relationship. They have everything they want. 
But I guarantee you that if you could get to the very core and to the very heart of that person, they are unsatisfied and unfulfilled with all of that because that does not satisfy. And that's where this man was. And we see this man and countless others in Scripture who have an emptiness inside of them. And we relate to that. We relate to that because they are us and we are them. We are the same in that we need Jesus. And the, the great thing is that many, many, many people have realized that through the Word of God and through the working of the Holy Spirit that we need Jesus. But there are many, many people that haven't. And this is a man that had heard of Jesus and, and, and surely, once again, people looked at him and said, why are you going to a poverty-stricken preacher and asking him questions when you seemingly have everything that you need? But again, there was that emptiness. There was an emptiness that, not, that it, nothing he had could fulfill. So let's read, begin with verse number 18. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one, that is, God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. So let's stop there. And again, we're, we're talking about this, this young man that had an emptiness that hadn't yet been fulfilled. And again, that's an emptiness that all of us experience. When Jesus is not in the picture, there's something that is just not quite right. And the prayer of every believer hopefully is that for those that don't believe, they'll realize one day that what they're missing is Jesus Christ, who fulfills our every need and our every desire. Amen? I believe you sang about that this morning, so I'm, I'm assuming that you feel that way as well and that you understand that, that there's an emptiness that only He can take care of. And if you pull away what's on the outside, the, the, the richness, the, the, the youth, uh, the position, if you pull all that away, what will be revealed underneath is an insecurity and a fear that something is missing. And even as Christians, even though we know we've accepted Christ and we have him in our lives, there are still times in our lives where we know that he's trying to make changes in our lives. We hear changes that need to be made as we read Scripture, as we hear sermons, as we listen to, to Christian radio, if we listen to Christian radio. God speaks to us through that and and tells us some things that need to change. And, and there is an unrest. And there is a, I guess sometimes a sadness. And a weariness until we allow 
him to make that change. For instance, what if we've allowed a root of bitterness to take place? And as a Christian, we know that that's wrong, but we can still harbor bitterness. And we begin to hear messages on uh, the radio and on TV and in our churches about loving one another and forgiving one another. And the Holy Spirit starts to work and speak to us. You need to let me take care of that bitterness for you. And we're like, no, I, I'm, I'm guarding it closely because I enjoy it. And I, I deserve this bitterness because of what's been done to me. And he says that bitterness is a prison and it will stifle you and it will make you feel like you're, like you're in shackles again. And you do not want that. You do not need that. Let me help you with that. And so we can understand the need for change as lost people and also as, as children of God. There are areas in my life that God wants to change. And I need to let him do that. I need to be surrendered to that. And he has this wonderful way of penetrating right to that. And he did the same thing with this rich young ruler. He penetrated straight to the problem, right to, to what the problem was. He was able to look past what the ruler said because being a ruler, I'm sure he was a good communicator. And being a good communicator, you can tell people things you want them to believe even if, even if they're not true. In other words, you can lie or you can make up a good story. And so Jesus saw through what the ruler was saying to the need that was there, and he wanted to help this man because I think it's in the book of Mark we're even told that he loved this man. And we know that anyway because God loves all people. But it's, it's interesting that one of the Gospels saw important to bring it out. Jesus loved this man. And so he didn't just talk to him to beat him down and tell him what he was doing wrong. He talked to him because he really wanted to help this man. The Holy Spirit deals with your heart and mind through Scripture because He loves you and He wants to help you. Not because He wants to hurt you and make your life miserable. But this man came and he said, you know, what must I do to, to get eternal life? And, and Jesus came back with this. He says, why do you call me good? There's not one good except God. Only God is truly good. And by saying this, Jesus was trying to get this ruler to dig real, real deep and think really closely about what he was saying. Because in essence, I think what Jesus was trying to say to him is, if you are calling me good, if you are calling me good, then you're calling me God. And you need to make the next logical step and follow me as God. Do you see that? You know, you're calling me good, and we know that there's only one good. So if you're calling me good, then you're calling me God, and you need to take the next step and follow me as God. And that's where so many people struggle and have a problem. You know, it, it, is, not any, any, it is not difficult for me at all at this point in my life and my walk with the Lord to understand and believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus is God and God is Jesus and Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And they're the Trinity. That is not hard for me. That is not a barrier for me. But for some people it is. And back then it was too. How can you be God? You're standing here in front of me. You're walking along with me. You eat what I eat. You wear the same clothes I wear. But that's what he was saying. And that's what he was trying to get this guy to see. Take the next step and follow me as God. And then he, he dealt with the next problem. 
He goes, hey, you know those Ten Commandments? You know God's top ten? You know those? And the ruler just very glibly says, oh, yeah, I've been keeping those since I was a kid. And I'm thinking, oh, really? Because to be able to keep all the commandments, you would have to be good. And there's only one good, and that's God. So I think that was a very superficial response to the question. Oh, yeah, 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 I've done that. That's like when your parents ask you, did you clean your room? Yeah, I cleaned my room. Did you just shove everything under the bed? No. You know, you know what I'm You know you did. You know that's how you cleaned your room. You shoved everything under the bed. But he was trying to get this guy to, again, to think deeply and look deeply. Um, nobody but God is good. And nobody has been able to keep all ten commandments. Think about yourself for just a few minutes. How many commandments have you kept? How many commandments have you broken? How many have I kept? How many have I broken? Uh, would you be willing to answer a question that, that someone asked you? Well, I just asked you that question. How many have you kept? You know, think about these. There's, there's ten of them, you know. Don't have any other gods before me. If you've always put God first in everything that you've done, then you've kept that commandment. Have you always kept God first in everything? Or have you broken that commandment? There's plenty. There's nine other ones. You shall not make for yourself any graven image and bow down to it. So as long as you haven't fashioned some kind of an idol and bowed down to it, then you, you haven't broken that one. But what about fashioning an idol of, say, uh, a celebrity or that beautiful woman or that handsome man or that job or money or things you know in a way we're fashioning those into idols and bowing down to them or have we kept that commandment can we say we've kept that one don't don't misuse god's name if you've never taken god's name or jesus's name and used it in any profane way then you've not broken that one as long as you haven't put God and Jesus in popular phrases like, oh, God, or for the love of, or Jesus, whatever, <laughs> have you used their name in an improper way? We can go through each one of these. Have you, have you remembered the Sabbath day and kept it holy? Uh, I think I've done that. I've tried to do that. Well, if you've ever skipped church, for your own convenience or for your own pleasure, or if while you were here, <laughs> you wished you were somewhere else, we've, we've broken it, my friend. So are you four for four, oh for four? Uh, honor your father and your mother. Never sashed your parents. Did everything they told you to do. Have respect for them even today. Um, this one's an easy one for most people. Thou shalt not kill. You know, I've never killed anybody. But you know what the New Testament says? It says that if you have ever hated anybody in your heart, then you're guilty of murder. We can go through all ten of these. And we begin to see where, where at first we might have said, yeah, I think I've done a pretty good job. We go through these ten commandments and we're like, wait a minute. I think guilty, 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 guilty. And I'm thinking I'm not as good as I thought I was. I need some help here. 
And you know, honestly, the the commandments were not given uh, to to help us be good. Really, they weren't. They were given to us to help us see our sin, and given to us to help us see our need for the Savior. And the Ten Commandments are important, and they should be remembered, and they should be understood. But they really, truly what they do is show us the great need that we have for Jesus. And in some, some way, I think that Jesus was trying to show this to this man, and that's why he brought this up. You know, take a look. Take a good long look. Take a good hard look. I'm preparing your heart for the thing that comes next, for the question that I'm getting ready to ask you, for the thing that I'm getting ready to tell you. And so then he made that statement. He made that requirement. After talking to him about who is good and after asking him about how good he had been with the commandments, he then comes forward and he says, sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And you can guarantee that that is not what this young ruler, rich young ruler, expected. He probably thought Jesus would maybe ask him to say a few more prayers, maybe fast once a week or something like that. But here's, here's the deal. Jesus knew that the problem really wasn't money. The problem was priority. And Jesus made a very generous offer. He says, if you'd be willing to give this up, and follow me, then you can have eternal life. That is a generous offer. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that is what the young man came and asked him for. And he understood there was an emptiness that he believed this man could feel, but it seemed like the cost was too high. He wasn't willing to give up all that he had. He, he wasn't willing to give up his possessions. So he chose his possessions over God and he he didn't choose to respond he didn't choose to allow Jesus to change him and so he left that day he left with his pride and he left with his wealth and he also left with his emptiness the emptiness wasn't filled and how many people attend churches on any given Sunday searching for something how many people do we work with or go to school with or are, are acquainted with who have an emptiness that are coming and asking us questions because they know that we believe in Jesus and that we seem to have something that they don't. And we come and we try to explain to them why we needed Jesus and how we allowed him into our lives and the changes that he's made since then. And sometimes people will listen to that and they'll, they'll, they'll weigh it and they'll think, I'm just not quite ready to do that. And we want them to see, well, listen, I was at the same place you were at. I was teetering back and forth. You know, should I, should I give my life to Christ? Should I not? I was at the same place you were at. But as a believer, you can thank God every day that you made the choice to follow him. And we can pray for those that don't. And this is one man that, that didn't make that choice. And we don't hear about him anymore. So for you here today that may not be saved, maybe you're lost, maybe you're not willing to accept that, but if you haven't accepted Christ, you're lost. And Scripture says that your eternal destination will not be heaven. And this is not William talking. 
And this is not trying to cause you to be afraid to make a choice based on fear. This is truth. This is what Scripture says. Bottom line, if you're not willing to accept what he is offering, and if you reject it, then there's not much hope for you. There's no hope for you. What's keeping you as a lost person from completely surrendering to Jesus Christ this morning? And as a believer, what God is trying to do in your life, what's keeping you from submitting to that? You know, unless we are willing to submit to Christ and allow Him to make the change that He wants to make in our lives, if we're lost, if we don't allow Him to do that, we're on our way to hell. And as a believer, if we're unwilling to do that, then we're going to miss out on opportunity, we're going to miss out on blessing, and we're going to miss out on growth. And we don't want to miss out on those things either. We don't want to be like the rich young ruler who deliberately chose to walk away from eternal life, the very thing he was asking for. So that's the first man. Let's look at the second man, Zacchaeus. Let's look at Luke chapter 19. We're going to read the first 10 verses. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus who he was. Excuse me. And he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be, a, to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Okay, so a little bit different story here than we saw with the rich young ruler. Most of us know Zacchaeus from the story. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. You remember that? And, and everybody, yeah, I remember that. Climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And that's exactly what happened. That's such a, such a neat story. But we have here, we have a tax man. And he was, he was actually uh, the director of, of the tax collectors. So he was like at the top of his profession, of the tax collectors. He was at the top of his profession. So very successful. And Scripture said he was rich. But we see in his life the same thing we saw on the rich young ruler. He is an anxious seeker. He is seeking for something, something that is missing. And we're not real sure how he heard about Jesus we just know that he did, and he wanted to meet him. He wanted to see him. And it was going to be difficult for him to see Jesus because there were some things that were separating him from Jesus. Probably uh, one of the things we don't, strangely enough, think about 
is sin. You know, sin separated him from Jesus. You know, we, we, and the same thing was true of us. You know, we spend a lot of time feeding our body. We spend a lot of time educating our mind. But we know we are, we are a threefold uh, creation. And we also have a soul. And if we're neglecting our soul, then we're going, there's going to be an emptiness. And there's going to be a hunger that needs to be filled, which is what we've been talking about so far this morning. And that's what... That's what caused Zacchaeus to go see Jesus. He had an emptiness. He needed something. He needed to be filled. He needed to be fulfilled. Um, and he wasn't sure what Jesus had to offer him, but he knew he needed to see him. So many people seeking what, what they're missing in their lives. And, and, you know, people are still seeking church and why people go to church. And what is this about Jesus? Because they are different. There's something different. On this side of Christianity, you people look really weird. Will you own that? Y'all are weird to the lost, to the lost world. You, you give up sleeping in on Sunday to get up and get dressed and sit in pews or chairs and listen to some guy ramble for an hour seems like three and you sing songs and the songs you sing the same line over and over and over and over again and you know i guess christians have bad memories because they only have two lines in their songs and y'all just weird people and, you, and you're nice and you got a smile on your face and i just don't think i can handle that but but there's something different about you, and I think it's something that I kind of like. And, you know, people are seeking, and that, that was Zacchaeus. He wanted something, and he thought that Jesus might be able to help him with it because there was something missing. But there was another thing that separated him from Jesus. Jesus, of course, was poor. Zacchaeus was wealthy. He had a lot of money. And some would say that he had sold his soul for the almighty dollar because his profession not only separated him from Jesus, but it separated him from a great portion of the population as well because they didn't like him. It was a hated position to have. Why would anybody want to be a tax collector? Because you make a lot of money. So that was a priority for him. And then, of course, physically he was separated from Jesus because there was a big crowd and he couldn't get to them. And that would have been okay if he was as tall as some of, of you all in here, but he wasn't. He was a little man, so his, his stature, uh, his height separated him from Jesus too. So what he did is he climbed up in a tree. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. We know exactly what kind of tree it was. And he climbed up in that tree, and he waited for Jesus to come by. And Jesus came by, and the most amazing thing happened. Jesus stopped the crowd, looked up in the tree, and he said, Hey, Zacchaeus, why don't you come down from there? Because I'm going to your house today. I don't know how he knew Zacchaeus' name. I don't know how he knew that uh, Zacchaeus had enough food in his refrigerator uh, to, to be able to take care of a guest. <laughs> I don't know. But it's, it's just part of the story that shows that if you are seeking, you'll find that he is seeking as well. That's, that's just a great part of his personality. So you got these two men, 
And, and, and we know from, the, from Scripture that Zacchaeus came down from that tree. And they went to Zacchaeus' house that day. And there was a big change that took place in his life. Salvation came to his life and to his house that day. And there was a great change because he went from, from taking from people wrongly to saying, if I have done wrong, I will pay back fourfold. Now, that's amazing. If I have stolen $100 from you, I'll pay you back $400. is not that amazing? But that's the change, not that Zacchaeus can make, but that's the change that Jesus can make in your life. And what a testimony to the people that heard that. And what a testimony to all the millions of people who have read that story since then. That's what Jesus does in a life right there. And you know, these two men, there are a lot of similarities between these two men. You know, they, they were both rich. We know that. Rich young rulers, Zacchaeus, top tax man. He was a rich guy. And they were both, they were both young. We know the rich young ruler was young because he was a rich young ruler. But how do we know Zacchaeus was, was young? I'm assuming that he was young because he was able to climb up into a tree. <laughs> All right, men, women. How many of us, 50 and older, would be willing to run out here and climb a sycamore tree? I know some of you are like, I could do it. I believe I could do it. But what helps me think even more that he was young is that when it was time to come down, he came down quick. Now, if I'm coming down, I'm probably going to come down slower than I went up. You know what I'm saying? Unless I fall, and then, I, then it will be quick. But he got down quick. And you know why I think part of the reason why he got down so quick is because he, he, he realized there was some moment where he realized this emptiness that's inside of me and this thing that I've been looking for, I'm going to get it today. And so he hurried down. And something great and amazing happened in his life. So they, so they, were, both, they were both rich and they were both young. This they had in common. Um, and I want you to think about you know what one meal with Jesus did for the life of Zacchaeus and his family? It completely transformed his life from one of selfishness and greed to one of repentance and wanting to make restitution with people that he had treated wrong. You know, there were probably a lot of, a lot of tax collectors that went through their whole lives stealing from people and never once felt bad about it or guilty about it because money was their God. And that's what they bowed down to. But there was a change in his life that day. He said, Lord, I'll give half of what I have to the poor. I'll pay four times as much if I've taken wrongly from anybody. So when we come to know Christ in a personal way like this, there's, there, we can't help but repent. We can't help but change. Because that's the change that he brings about inside of us. And when we truly see, when we truly see what Jesus has done for us, and when we truly see what we are, that song that I just sang, I was a wretch. I remember who I was. And that's what the, the truth of the gospel reveals and shows to us. I tell you, the world's not telling us that. 
you're okay. You're fine just the way you are. You, you can be anything you want to be. If you don't feel like being this sex, you can be that sex. If you want to be in this type of relationship, if it makes you happy, you be in that type of relationship. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. I mean, you can read it for encouragement if you want to, or you can keep one in your house and tell everybody you've got one. But the world's not telling us that. And they don't want to hear the word sin or, or that they're a sinner. But when we hear the truth of the word of, of Jesus Christ, it's just like when Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler. It went straight to the heart of the problem. And when we hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit is working, that's what he's doing. He's getting straight to our heart to show us who we really are. And when we see who we really are, and we see who he really is and what he has done, then repentance is the obvious choice. Because I don't want to remain the way I am in this state. I want to be different, and I want to change. I want to submit to Christ and what he wants to do in my life. And that's for the lost person, but for the saved individual as well. I see I'm not, I'm not living the way God wants me to. I see that I'm allowing things in my life that God's not pleased with. And God, I want you to make this change. I want you to show me what, what I can do to be more the person you have created me to be. So change, do we welcome change? Or do we fight change? Because change is always happening around us. But as important as it looks, nothing is as important as the change that Christ can and wants to make in your life. Nothing. And if I say anything at funerals, I say that. Because that may be the only time that some people are going to hear the gospel or come inside a church building. The most important decision that I will ever make is what I decide to do with Jesus Christ. So we saw a lot of similarities there. There was one difference, and the difference was this. The rich young ruler rejected Christ. Zacchaeus welcomed him, and it changed his life remarkably. I want to give you a few lessons from these two stories, and then we're going to be done. And most of these you could probably figure, and we've already touched on some of the things I want to say already. But I want to say that the change that Jesus will bring to your life will make your life better. Bar none, it will make your life better. So many people believe that if I become a Christian, I'm not going to have any fun anymore. I'm not going to be able to do anything that I want to do. It's just a long list of don'ts. Don't do this. Don't do that. I'm not going to be able to go out with my friends and have fun anymore. I'm going to have to do boring things like go to church and go to Bible studies and become a missionary and watch the 700 Club for the rest of my life. I don't want to become a Christian. It's not going to be any fun for me. But that's not true. He brings change and he brings positive change. And for those of you who are saved in here, you know that. And for an illustration, we look at Zacchaeus and see how he went from, from a stingy uh, dishonest tax collector to a to a very giving person and that is positive change that is change 
for the better. His life wasn't miserable. His life was made better. And that's what he wants to do for us. I'm not saying you're, and, and don't misread, because a lot of people do. It's not that we're going to have, uh, everything's going to be great, and we're not going to have any problems anymore. It's not going to be that. But it is changing for the better when we allow that change to take place. He said, hey, I came so that you can have life, and that you can have it more abundantly. You know, you think you're living life now, but when you let me come in, you will really be living life abundantly. Let me come in, and I'll show you. And that's what Zacchaeus did. Also, the change that he wants to make in your life will affect every area of your life. And that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants hear this because this is a problem for some people. Jesus wants to control every area of your life because he wants to put your whole self and your whole being in order. He wants to help you make not good decisions, but great decisions. He wants to help you make the right decisions. And when you do these things and it brings glory to him, then that is, that is the harmony of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we are, we are blessed beyond measure that he would even choose to look our way. But more than that, he gave himself and he shed his blood so we could be together forever. What is it? Uh, I'm not going to remember the phrase. Uh, but what is it that breeds contempt? What familiarity? Did, was that you, Elaine? I should have just asked you. Familiarity breeds contempt. I think what that means is the more that you're around somebody, the more you hate them. <laughs> is that what that means? Something like that. But you know what? That's not true with him. Boy, he loves us, and it never changes. Never, never changes. And I've and I've I've t I think sometimes I've just told the Lord not to love me anymore because I don't deserve it. But he he says. Well, you're not going to change my mind because I already knew everything you were going to do and I already knew every decision you were going to make and I chose to love you anyway. And so he wants to control and he wants to help me. Maybe that's a better word. He wants to help me in every area of my life because he knows that some of the decisions I will make and can make on my own are going to be devastating to me, my family, my church, my acquaintances. He wants me to live an abundant life. And he wants that change to take place. And that's, you know, that's what he wants to do for us. For the lost person, for the saved person, it could be he wants to change the attitude that we have towards material things. Maybe having things means too much to us. And he wants to change our attitude and help us to be satisfied with what we have. Maybe let's talk about bitterness again. Maybe we've got bitterness in our heart towards people. And he wants to change that. Maybe we have a sexual problem. And he wants to change that. Maybe we have a pride problem. Maybe we have a selfishness problem. And he wants to change that. And it was like, th this is what he was saying to the rich young ruler. He was saying, drop all those things. All we tune into is sell everything you got, give it to the poor, come follow me. But I think what Jesus is saying is drop all that stuff. Drop all the heaviness of all of that stuff and come and follow me and find your life. 
find life. That's what he wants. That's what he wanted for the rich young ruler, which when we read in the book of Mark, we see that he loved him. And that's what he wants for you. And he loves you. He wants to make those changes. And truly, when we allow that to take place, if we had the the idea that being a Christian was going to be boring, once we become a Christian, we realize how, how wrong we were and how the things that used to be so important. You know, the job used to be so important, but now my family is more important than my job. And, you know, church used to be boring, and the world was exciting, but now things of God are, are compelling me and drawing me, and the world just seems to be a mess anymore. And, and the things that used to be boring are exciting, and, and vice versa. And we read so much into that that we sometimes make the decision, I'm not ready to make that change. But the best choice we can make is to allow that to happen. And I want to finish with this. I know we're, we're out of time. But the change that he wants to make in our lives is both an instant gift, but it's also an, a gradual growth. When we are saved, when we ask Christ to save us, to come into our lives instantly, uh, we're saved. And the benefit of that is that we have the Holy Spirit within us. He's always with us. We're going to go to heaven, and we're going to grow from there. And that's what the gradual thing is. We're going to gradually grow from there. You know, there's an instant change, and we saw an instant change in the life of Zacchaeus. Immediately, he wanted to change the way he did his business. Immediately. I don't even know if you could call that a tax collector anymore. That's more of a benefactor. He wanted to give more than he wanted to receive. But you can guarantee that Zacchaeus grew from there. And just like we sang, build my life, he, he, Christ built on that foundation from there. And for those who are saved, that's what Jesus is doing in your life. He's building. He's changing you from glory to glory. And he is making you and helping us hopefully realize the, the abundant life that he came to give us through allowing him to make the changes that he wants to make. Second uh, Corinthians tells us that those who become Christians become new and they are not the same anymore for, for their old life is gone and a new life has begun. And that is, that is exactly what he wanted to give to that rich young ruler that day. But I'm gonna, I want you to notice another something about that story before we close. Even though Jesus loved him, as we can read in the book of Mark, he did not chase after that man and, and force him to make that change. And he will not do that to you either. He, he will not force you to make a change. For the lost person, he will not force you to be saved. For the saved person, he will not force you to make the change that he wants to make in your life. That's our choice, and that's our decision. So the question is, are we going to allow it? For the lost person, are we going to allow him to save us? For the saved person, are we going to allow him to shape us and mold us and grow us? Somebody once said 
Every day is election day. Every day is election day. God casts a vote for you. Satan casts a vote against you. And you have the deciding vote. How will you decide? I want you to stand, if you will, bow your heads. Second Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to go ahead and turn there, if you will. Uh, or we'll also have the verses coming up on the screen. Second Corinthians chapter 5. You'll be glad to know that we're not, well, I don't know, maybe you won't be glad to know. We're not going to be running all over the Bible this morning. Uh, I know that some of you are probably like, would you just stay in one book for a, for a pair of minutes? But that's kind of what we're going to do today. We're going to stay in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as you're getting there, as you're turning there, how's your new year going? Are you, are you still, are, were you excited last week? Because we, last week at this time, we were on the cusp of a new year. It almost was, it was almost here. And we talked about things that we do not need to look back at. And so we needed to look forward. And, and were you excited last week about the new year? I mean, a little bit. Has your excitement waned a little bit? Are you like, okay, we made it, no big deal. Uh, how many of you are thinking, I've already made resolutions that are broken, that kind of thing? I, I don't know how you were last week, but you know, there is something about the end of the year and the beginning of something new anticipating a new year, anticipating new experiences. So we, we want to look forward uh, to the new year because we're, we're hoping that things are going to be better this year than they were last year. Now, who in here today would raise your hand and say, I'm hoping that this year will be better than last year? Anybody? <laughs> Just kind of hoping that. Maybe, maybe you had a stellar last year and you're thinking, I don't think anything could top last year. But here's something that I think we all kind of feel sometimes, and we touched on this last week, is that we think about this past year and how we messed up and how we failed on certain things and in certain areas, and we're really uh, excited about doing better this year and for things to be better. So we get all excited about this new year. And we get excited about new things in general. Um, but we, I think maybe a lot of us look at this new year as getting a new start on life. And I think we've been conditioned to do that as well by our culture. A new year, new life, new habits, new this, new that. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is something that's even better than a fresh start. And that is a new beginning. And I'll go even further and say a new life. How does that sound? A brand new life. Having a brand new life. Now some of you might be sitting back there thinking, I've already got new life. I've already got new life in Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you are out there thinking, well, I don't have that. Or maybe some of you are out there thinking, well, just keep talking and let's see what you, what you have to say. So that's exactly what I want to do. I'm just going to keep talking. Because this new life that, that Scripture tells us about is a whole lot more exciting than, than a new year. And I'm talking about receiving a new life as a child of God. 
How many of you understand what I mean when I say that? Say amen. amen. A new life. Amen. I heard, I heard young voices and I heard uh, uh, old voices and all the voices in between. That's fantastic. So again, we get really excited when we think about getting a fresh start. But what I'm talking about this morning um, is doing something more than just trying to be better physically, uh, trying to be better mentally, and even emotionally. I'm talking about being transformed into something brand new, something different than you were, being made of stuff that is different than what you used to be made of. And you probably, some, some people might hear me say that and think, well, you're talking science fiction, will you? Well, let me give you some scripture to kind of anchor this. And this, this is coming from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to read uh, verse number 17 here. We're going to talk about new life, new creation. Verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Now, let the, let the importance of those words sink in a little bit. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, pay attention, listen, stop and take notice. All things are become new. All things are become new. And I think sometimes we kind of throw off our salvation as just one of those things that happens in the life of a churchgoer. Eventually you come to the point where you're like, okay, I'll give in, I'll surrender, and I'll give my life to Christ. But, but when I said a few minutes ago, are you growing your, in your salvation? I think we look to the Word of God and look at what it says about our new life. And we begin to understand that it's a bit more than we originally thought. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So this is really a great promise. This is a wonderful promise from the Word of God. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. If you are in Christ, you will receive newness of life. So what does it mean for you, for me, to be in Christ? Well, if I'm in Christ, what that means is I have put my trust in Christ. I have put my hope and my faith in Christ. I'm no longer relying on me and my strength and my ability. I'm trusting in Him. I'm trusting in His work at the cross, His resurrection from the dead, and, and the hope that all of that brings me. It means I'm a Christian. And you know, a Christian is not just somebody who attends church. You know, there are a lot of people who attend church that by biblical definition are not Christians. But we're going to talk about what Christian means here in just a minute. But scripture tells us that if you are in Christ, what you are doing, your life from then on is different. And you want to live your life as if you are actually an extension of, of Jesus Christ himself. And another way we like to say that is that we let Christ live his life through us. And scripture that helps us to understand that even more is, you know, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You are working out what he has worked in. 
And so we're letting Him live His life through us. Now, Christian can mean a lot of different things. We think of Christian meaning Christ-like, but it also means little Christ. And it gives the idea of oneness with Jesus. Someone who is living their lives for Jesus. Now, in that same chapter, if you go back to verse number 15, this is what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 15 tells us. It tells us that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. In other words, he died for, for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So if I call myself a Christian, and if you call yourself a Christian, then remember that you're somebody who desires to be living your entire life for Jesus and not yourself. And that's what being in Christ means. So how does this come about? How did it come about that you were in Christ? How did it come about that you became a child of God? Explain that to me in 20 words or less. Anyone volunteer on your mark, get set, go. Everybody's, some of you are looking down. Some of you are looking at me like, what? What did you just say? That, that's kind of hard to put into words, especially on the spur of the moment. If you look back at Romans chapter 6, now I'm not asking you to turn there, and I know I told you I wasn't going to jump all over, but I'm just referencing this. Romans chapter 6 tells us that being in Christ is becoming as one with Christ's death and burial and resurrection. And that it's doing what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That kind of makes sense. Allowing Christ to live his life through me. It is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So a Christian is a person whose flesh and sinful nature have been crucified in order to be raised up or resurrected into newness of life with Jesus Christ. Now, it's so easy in hearing that to get some lost somewhere in that definition or that explanation. But basically, it's no, since I am in Christ, it's no longer I who live. It's not William living for William. It's not, living, make, it's not William making the decisions. It's Christ in me, living through me. And that's what I want. That's what I desire. But again, how did all this come about? And I'm going to try to make this very simple. And I'm going to use Scripture to do it because I think if we use anything to explain salvation, it's got to be Scripture. If you agree with that, clap twice. <laughs> or beat your leg twice, whatever. <laughs> got to hold on to that Bible there. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to talk about this. Now, do you remember the story in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, where Moses was, was told by God to make a serpent of brass and lift it up in the wilderness? Now, you may or may not remember that story. It's a really cool story. Um, it's a great story. And so, so Moses is told to make this serpent out of brass and, he, and the reason that he had to do this is because they were in an area where there were a lot of snakes. And people were getting bitten and they were dying. And so God told Moses, craft a serpent uh, out of brass and hang it up. And this is what I want you to tell the people to do. 
If they're bitten by the snake, tell them to look at the serpent that you made. Look up to the, to the serpent and they'll be healed. If they're bitten by a snake, look up at the snake and they will live. If they're bitten by a snake and they do not look, they will die. So you understand that? Okay, so I know that maybe some of us are thinking that's just crazy. Why don't they just carry a snake bite kit? You know? Why don't they just get some anti-venom and, and inject it or whatever? But the, the, there's, a, there's a simplicity there that is sometimes lost on us. If I get bit by a snake, I look to the serpent and I live. If I get bit by the snake and I fail to look at the serpent, then I will die. And I, I look to live. And we do the very same thing. We look to Jesus for life. The son of man. And you'll remember we talked about Jesus. One of the ways that we know him is as the son of man. And he was fully man and he was fully aware of everything that you and I go through in this life. He, he understands us better than we could ever imagine. The son of man was lifted up on a cross and we look to him, we look to his blood, we look to his sacrifice and we find life. You get that? You see the correlation between the two stories? He even said that if the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw men to himself. So salvation is as easy as looking to Christ, high and lifted up, crucified, buried, and raised again. So I look at him and I live, but if I reject him, I die. Do you understand that? Is, that? is that pretty clear? That's pretty simple, isn't it? Look to live. Think about how simple it was in that story to live. All they had to do was look. Look and live. And Jesus tells us that whoever believes on his name will not perish, but have everlasting life. And we get so worked up about praying a particular prayer in a particular way and trying to get the process right and, and doing this and doing that. But the process is looking to someone other than myself to be saved. I'm not looking to the church because you can't save me. I'm not looking to the deacons or even the chairman of the deacons because they can't save me. I'm not looking to mom and dad because they can't save me. I'm not looking to a pastor or a priest or a king or a president because none of them can save me. And so you think, well, you, can't, you don't have anybody else. At least you got yourself. I can't save me. But Jesus can and he is the only one who can. So I look to him. I don't have to pray a prayer a certain way. I don't have to attend church a certain number of times. I don't have to go into a confessional booth. I don't have to take a class. I don't have to give so much money to the church. 
All I have to do is look to Christ, my faith and hope and trust in Him, and I can be saved and I am in Christ. I cannot do it for myself. I can only look to Him. And that's how we become in Christ. That's how we become a Christian. That's how we get to experience new life. And when we're saved, it means that we've been rescued. Saved means rescued. Rescued from what? Rescued from the death that I deserve because of my sin. See, I will, if the Lord tarries and doesn't come and take us home in the rapture, then I will breathe my last breath here one day. And I will die. And the, the beautiful thing about that is that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. My God is with me as I take my last breath. He is with me as I breathe my first breath. He never leaves me. And I know where I'm going to go, not based on hope and not based on making sure that I confessed every sin and not based on anything that I have done. It's all based on what he has done. So it's all on him. It's all on him. And he says, that's okay. <laughs> I want it all on me. I want to take it all upon me. I want to do it all for you. So that all you have to do, and hear this, is look and live. Now, do you see in, in that explanation how much you are loved and how much you are thought of and how much that your God, the, 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 the depths that your Savior went to, to save you so that it wouldn't be up to you because if it were up to me, you know how the story goes. If it were up to me, I'd mess up. I'd get something wrong. I would do, I would, it wouldn't be complete. Something would be lacking. I couldn't do it and nobody else could either. Only he could do it. And when, I, when you are saved and when I'm saved, it means that I am rescued from the death of sin. So if I have allowed Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins, if I've looked to him to forgiveness, then I am in Christ and I can start living my life for him because I've been transformed. I am a new creation. You, if you have put your trust in Christ, if you have looked to Jesus for life and salvation, then you are in Christ. You are a new creation. And Jesus had a conversation with another man in Scripture. In the book of John, his name was Nicodemus. And Jesus told him that he needed to be born again in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is what he said to him. And really... All this is the same thing. He's not giving different ways to be saved. He's explaining it. This is what you need. Basically, he's saying, hey, you need me, and I am all that you need. And what I have done for you is enough. It is complete. What were the words that he used? It is finished. It is finished. So, this is what he told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said, that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. 
And he was telling Nicodemus that his new birth was a spiritual birth. So when we identify ourselves with Jesus and we become in Christ, we become a new creation. And those who are in Christ or those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that's how we like to say it, are made new and we are reborn. And that word or that phrase, a new creation, let's talk about that for just a second. The Greek word that's used here is katesis. K-T-I-S-I-S, katesis. So if anyone has dedicated himself or herself to Christ, if anyone has trusted Christ, if anyone has looked to Christ for salvation, then that person is a new katesis. So katesis has two major meanings. One of them is the act of creation. The other one is the thing created or the creation itself. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 means that when someone has decided to trust Jesus, Jesus has made them a new creation. They are a new creation. Not, not just reformed and not just rehabilitated, okay? Not, there's a difference. Not just reformed and rehabilitated, but made completely new. Recreated is the word we want to use. A brand new person from within with a brand new life. And we, we've used this definition many, many times, or this illustration many, many times. It's kind of like a caterpillar and a butterfly. The metamorphosis that takes place there. Think about a, a caterpillar for a minute. It's a prickly, lazy bug that's basically working hard to get nowhere. You know what I'm saying? You know, I think about them sometimes and they're on a branch and they lift half their body up and they're reaching around and they don't know where they're going. They're just trying to find something to grab hold of. But anyway, just you get the idea. And, and so what happens is, and, and something happens in the life of this caterpillar that is a beautiful picture of the grace of God. Okay? So this, this caterpillar goes through a period of life called a chrysalis period. And this thick film covers the caterpillar and a chemical reaction takes place and changes the very makeup of this creature. And soon you can see through that uh, cocoon a butterfly and eventually it emerges from that cocoon and spreads its wings and it kicks off its old life and begins its new life. And that's known, of course, as metamorphosis. And you and I go through a similar change, very similar change. In an instant, when we become saved, the Holy Spirit comes in and gives us a new heart, gives us a new life, gives us new desires. We are a new creation. We go through that metamorphosis. And the end result, just like the end result of the, the caterpillar situation, is a beautiful creation of God. The end result for you and me when we become Christians is we are a beautiful work of God that can now, you can just draw, draw uh, parallels here, we can fly to new heights that were never possible before. And we receive a new future. And we receive a new destiny. 
What's our future as children of God now that we're saved? What's our future? What's our secure future? Where are we headed? Going to heaven. Where were we headed before we looked to Christ for life, before we got saved, before we trusted in him? Where were we headed? I heard somebody say hell. Why? Why were we going to hell? Why did we deserve it? Sin. How do you know that? The Word of God. You believe the Word of God? Okay. We're moving in the right direction. That's exactly what we want to hear. And, and 2 Corinthians tells us now we no longer live. I no longer live for William. I live for Jesus. I live for Jesus. I live for Him. I don't live a self-centered life. What God has done is He's taken my life and He's made it into something useful and meaningful and something with purpose. I'm now living for Him. And I have, I have new strength that I didn't have before. Before, I was counting on William's strength and William's abilities. And, and maybe I might lean on a friend or lean on a family member, but you know, eventually that strength is going to run out. But I have new strength and it is, it is inexhaustible strength. And I'm able to overcome things and make it through things and, and be okay in circumstances that might have overtaken me before. Obstacles that would have been a problem for me are no longer a problem like they used to be. I still struggle. I still stumble. But I know that he is with me and I know that I have his strength. Think about a caterpillar. When a caterpillar is going down the road and it comes across a big rock, you know, it's either got to turn around and go back the other way or find a way around that rock. But a butterfly can just land right on top of that big rock, look around, see where it wants to go, and fly off and head in that direction. You know, life is going to hit me hard sometimes, but it's not the end for me. You know, I know I'm going to make it through because i got the Lord with me. And even though my situation is not what I had, would, would, may, may not be what I would have chosen, he has allowed it into my life for whatever reason because he knows that I'm going to be okay because I got him. And that, all that happened when I became a new creation in Christ, a new creature in Christ. And I have a new identity and I've been transformed and I'm just completely different than I used to be. So there, there's my new beginning. And there's my fresh start that we can get excited about. I think sometimes, and the reason that I wanted to talk about that today as we do our first service of the new year is that we sometimes forget about the beauty and the importance and the relevance and the power of the new life that he has given us. And you know, another big deal about a new year is that we feel like we're getting another chance to make things right. And even, even in making resolutions, we make resolutions and we're kind of excited about doing that. Kind of excited about saying, hey, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to be nicer to people. I'm going to quit cussing. I'm going to do, not do this. And I'm going to do that. But somewhere within us may be this little nudge, but you're going to mess up. You're, you're, you're going to fail in that effort. You're not going to, you're not going to be perfect in that. 
you're not going to be able to accomplish what you set out to do. That's frustrating, isn't it? But listen, when I gave my life to Christ and when you gave your life to Christ, if you have done that, do you realize that it was not up to you to remove your sin? And it was not up to you to transform yourself. It was not up to you to do any of the work because he has already done the work, hasn't he? Now, how many of us are resting in that knowledge? How many of us are getting up every day thinking that it is up to us to maintain our salvation, to live a life so that God will continue to love us, so that he won't love us less than he did yesterday, and maybe he'll love us more today because we've been that better Christian that more dedicated Christian, we read five more verses today than we did yesterday. And we just feel like it's all about our performance. But it's not about us, it's about Him. And we waste too much time and we worry and are anxious, which He warned us against and told us not to do because we're looking to ourselves and our abilities. And we're not looking to Him and the fact that he's already taken care of everything and he has made us brand new. And he's the one that did the hard part when he took away our sins by dying on the cross and shedding his blood that you sang about just a few minutes ago. What can wash away my sins? What, godly living? Church attendance? Uh, confessing my sins, uh, trying to be good, doing my best, striving, working diligently. Is that, is that what washes away our sins? No. The, nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. And so we like new things we like new things. Scripture goes on to talk about reconciliation. We're not going to have time to jump into that this morning because I don't want to rush through it. But we like new things. And many of us, maybe most of us, maybe all of us in here, we, we know what new life is because we have it. And even though we don't think about it a lot, we know we've got it. But sometimes the, the things that happen in our lives take our focus off of what, what Christ has done for us, and we begin to think again that it's up to us and it's our responsibility. I want to live for Him. That's what a Christian is. A Christian has a new heart, new desires. I want to live for Him. But I mess up and I make mistakes, and I realize... Thank God that it is not up to me to maintain my salvation. Thank God that it is not up to me to make sure that I don't lose my salvation because it's up to Him. And He's not going to lose anybody, is He? He's not going to lose anybody. So why would we not want to be a part of that? Why would we not want new life? What is it that would hinder us from wanting to be able to have this? Verse 21, we would have, we're going to finish with that and maybe we can go back and revisit these other verses later. 
Verse 21 says, He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So everything I've talked about this morning and all the benefits that I haven't mentioned that we received because we became, became his children are made possible because of the sacrifice that he made as the son of God on the cross. He became sin for us. He became sin for us. I said this the other night. Those are not just churchy Bible words. This actually happened. He became sin for us so that we could become what? The righteousness of God. So in this new life that I have, in this new life that you have, because he became sin for you and me on the cross and you've trusted in him and all that he's done, then you are the righteousness of God. And is God pleased with the righteousness of God? Does he like, does he love what he sees when he sees the righteousness of God? Because it was completed by his son and it has been made new and a reality in you. And I know this, I know this seems so deep and, and maybe hard to understand. And it seems like there's so many later, layers that we have to try to peel away and try to understand this. But he became sin. He took all sin upon himself at the cross. He, he became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. Are we growing in our salvation? Are we understanding what a great salvation that we have? I think that when I go through my day tomorrow, what I want to try to remind myself of is, yeah, it was hard to get out of bed. Um, yeah, traffic was horrible as usual. Uh, maybe I burnt my toast. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, maybe I'll get an unexpected bill. Maybe somebody pull out in front of me. You know, uh, maybe I'll get a harassing phone call here at church tomorrow. I don't know. Maybe something terrible will happen. Maybe something sad will happen. I don't know what's. I don't know what's going to happen. But I'm going to try to focus on the fact that that I'm going to be able to make it through whatever obstacle comes against me because I have Christ in me. And I have Christ in me because I'm in Christ. Because I put my trust in Him. And there is no weapon formed against me that can stand. Amen? There is nothing that this world can do to you. And there is nothing that, that the enemy, our enemy can do that can stand against us. Because in Christ... Think about it. In Christ, we have all we need. He's everything that we need. Amen? So I want you to, would you stand for just a moment and would you bow your heads?